This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Little heavy rev, you've been studying so much about Jezebel and reading all the stories, and one of the things that I found so interesting was Elijah's victory over the, over the Baal prophets and over the Asherah prophets uh, at Mount Carmel was taking place at a, at a place in a valley called Kishon. And Kishon means to be lured or to be tempted to do wrong. And Elijah had victory over that place. So I have news for you this morning. You have victory in Jesus Christ over any place that would want to lure you or tempt you into a place that God has never designed for you. And I'm not just talking about a place. I'm talking about that could be people, that could be conversations, that could be things that you're struggling with. The enemy has been defeated because the God of peace has crushed Satan. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. Amen. Well, Father, we just pray this morning that you would uh, just open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to receive everything that you have for us this morning. Father, I pray that you'd be with me. Help me to explain and to, uh, to uh, just explain the characteristics of Jezebel in such a way that we would see things in our own lives, that we would see things that are affecting us from other sources, that we would see what's affecting the city, and that we would be able to unmask it and to know how to handle it and know what to do. We give you praise, Lord God, for showing us that. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are doing this series, Unmask. If you're here for the first time, this is week number seven, and we got 23 more weeks to go. Kidding! Kidding. Now we'll be done soon, but I just, uh, I'm excited about it. This word unmasked literally means to reveal the true identity or, or nature of someone or something. When we dealt with the very first week, the very first uh, topic was on Leviathan, and one of the things that was very interesting about Leviathan is that Leviathan has been compared to the Nile crocodile, and as many of you know, Nile crocodiles, or any crocodile for that matter, loves to just linger below the surface. No one can see it, and it's usually in murky water, which means you really can't see it. And so it loves to hide under that which is unseen so that it can go undetected. Well, I have news for you this morning. Not only is Leviathan being unmasked, not only is the spirit of religion being unmasked, not only is the spirit of witchcraft is being unmasked, but the spirit of Jezebel is being unmasked. And we're going to see the truth of situations like never before. Do you believe that? Amen. So I just want to do a very quick, very quick... um, go through of a couple key points from last week. If you were not here last Sunday and you did not listen to the message, please go online and listen to it because today will not seem to make as much sense without last Sunday, okay? But what we talked about last week was the foundations of Jezebel. What, what happened in uh, the, the seedbed of that person's life and all the way back to the history of uh, where that person named Jezebel in the Old Testament came from. We talked about who the Spirit loves to influence and which people are more easily influenced uh, by that Spirit. And we kind of captured that thought by understanding the two different meanings for the name Jezebel. The first meaning was unexalted or overlooked. How many know that the enemy loves to jump on people that feel overlooked? Right? Because it starts to, to, to kind of breed inside of them and in their heart and their mind something that uh, is lacking. And so sometimes that spirit can kind of gravitate towards those people. The second meaning is this, is to be without habitation or without a place. So we talked about what happens when you feel replaced, misplaced, out of place. The enemy loves to jump on people like that. And the goal of Jezebel, as we talked about last week, the goal is idolatry. And idolatry, in essence, is the worship of self. 
It's a worship of a lot of other things that take precedence over Jesus, but if I can deal with the main topic today in 21st century Canada, I would say the number one issue of idolatry in Canada today, in North America today, is self. Would you not agree? Okay, good. So we're on the same page. And that takes many different forms. It could be self or self-will, which is the road that leads to humanism. It could be status, identity, recognition, or purpose. It could be wealth, materialism, and all of those things. Jesus or Jezebel loves to look for people that feel overlooked and out of place. And what they do is they color the circumstances in order to get that person to compromise so that you focus on something other than Jesus, which is the root of that is idolatry, the God of self. And if I can add one more thought, I actually found something this week that I didn't share last week that I thought was so cool. Because when we talked last week about the seedbed, we actually went right back to Genesis chapter 9. So if you're new today and you did not listen to last week, this is going to make no sense to you. But if you were here last week, there's going to be like, oh, that's so cool. So we went right back because we found out that Jezebel uh, came from Ethbaal, who was the king of the Sidonians, or Sidon. Uh, Sidon's father was Canaan. Canaan's father was Ham. Ham's father was Noah. Ham was the one that uh, exposed Noah's weakness after they came, uh, after the flood had happened and they finally rested on the top of Mount Ararat. Um, He literally exposed his father's weakness and told the entire world, right? Which was eight people at the time, but good enough, 100%. And so what happened was, is that was the seedbed of the issue of Jezebel. That's where Jezebel, even though she didn't physically appear until many years later, the seedbed of that manipulation and the exposing of things and manipulation of circumstances and deception happened there because that is in the line of Jezebel. And what was interesting is uh, we talked about how Jesus came uh, to the woman at the well and how the first decision that Jezebel made when she became queen was to actually set up a, 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 a temple for the 450 bell prophets in Samaria. So Jesus came, because we understand that idolatry is, is ungodly worship. It's the worship of something else. So Jesus came to the woman at the well who was in where? Samaria. As a matter of fact, she was in a little town of Samaria called Sychar. Sychar in Samaria was this little place where this woman at the well, that's where Jesus found her. Jesus can, in a sense, lovingly prophesies uh, over her about her life. She was absolutely overwhelmed, and it says that all the towns surrounding there actually had an incredible influence of God, and they came to Christ as a result of this one woman. Jesus undid and pulled up the roots of what was planted in Genesis chapter 9 and restored true worship, the worship of Jesus. But what's very interesting is the meaning of the word sychar. This is what I found this week. The meaning of the word sychar is is the meaning drunkenness. So Jesus literally went back to Genesis 9, dealt with the root issue, pulled it out, planted new seeds of worship and of truth in the Spirit of God, and then moved on because he said, now it's fine. And honestly, what I believe is going to be happening over the city of Kingston right now is Jesus, through his church, is going to be pulling up roots that have been planted 240 years ago and said there was something wrong in the foundation of Cataraqui. There was something wrong in the foundation of Fort Frontenac, and so we're going to fix it, and we're going to put the right stuff here. And that is exactly what's happening in the spirit realm. You may not see it, but that's exactly what's happening right now in the spirit realm. Are we good? Okay. So I'm going to move on today. Last week, we talked about the foundation of Jezebel. Today, I'm actually going to talk about the characteristics of a spirit of Jezebel or the work of the spirit of Jezebel. I'm starting today. I'm going to carry on next week because I had... I actually made, I'm actually just going to make one point today. 
but there's so much stuff, I'm going to take 30 minutes to make it. Is that okay? Okay. I got so much stuff, I'm like, I should get to two, you know, know, I'm supposed to do a three-point sermon, right? That's what I'm supposed to do. I got one point. All right? Are you ready for this? The entire goal of Jezebel is to make an alliance or to make an allegiance with the entire goal of getting authority. It wants authority. That's why it loves control. Okay? So its whole purpose is to align itself with key people for the sake of getting their authority. We ready? Okay, here we go. So 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 29 to 31, it says, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. What a great epitaph on your, uh, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you did more evil than anyone else that has ever lived. Well, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for that encouragement. Um, Verse 31, it says, He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. So the first key that we have to understand of what, they, of what the Spirit will try to do is the first thing is this, is they always are looking to make an alliance with you. Can we put into a modern-day word? Friendship. Relationship. They want to make a connection with you. Jezebel loves to make alliances with people who are in authority. Okay? So why do they do this? Number one, they got a big ego. They love the power. They love the authority. They, ha- they love to be in control. They are envious of those that have power and control that they do not have. Okay? They have an overwhelming sense of self-importance. Uh, it, and they obviously, and oftentimes, they do this by assuming false authority in order to drag you in. I'm going to just give some modern-day examples of this so we can kind of track along. Oftentimes I see this, and this is one of the things that you have to understand. Someone who operates out of the spirit of Jezebel is oftentimes very spiritual. They're very spiritual. They could come to the prayer meetings. They could come to this. They can do that. They go through all this. They're very spiritual people. They, they actually are, they can dupe a lot of people because they're very spiritual people. They can talk about all the things that God is showing them. They can talk about, you know, all this insight into the Word of God. Um, but at the end of the day... Um, their whole goal is to usurp authority from sources of authority that they know are true so that they can have it themselves. Okay? So how in the world do they make an alliance with someone? So follow with me for a second. First they do is they intentionally target a person. It's usually a leader. If it's not a pastor, it's usually someone connected to a pastor. If it's at work, it's someone connected to your boss. They will look for a connection point with someone who's close to the boss because they want to get it in. If it's in the family hierarchical system where you have you know, like us having five kids and maybe one feels uh, more special than the rest of them, that one child will do everything they can to undermine that one child in order to get in with that person. Okay, so they're always looking to, uh, to undermine. How do they do that? They love to serve. They serve, 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 serve. They will serve, they will over-serve. They will cr- crazy serve because they're looking for a place of importance and they're also looking to get close to that key person that they believe has influence or authority uh, over them. At the end of the day, authority really is about influence. We can hear that word authority and we can kind of miss it in 21st century Canada, but at the end of the day, it's about influence. They're looking for an end. They're looking for influence in people's lives. So they will make, listen to this, they will make false commitments that they don't intend to keep in order to gain position with you. How do they do this? Listen to this for a second. I'll fight with you. I'll stand with you no matter what. You ever heard that? 
I don't give up easy no matter what happens. Hmm. I always have your back. When in reality, they're actually undermining you without you knowing it. Okay? And so these are things that often happens. They try to isolate you from godly people in your life by making them of great importance to you. So they will, their whole goal is to isolate you from those people in their life. What did Jezebel do with Ahab? One of the first things that is very obvious in Scripture, 1 Kings chapter 18, 1 Kings chapter 19, one of the first things that Jezebel did was to isolate Ahab from Elijah. Let's keep him away from the prophet of God. He's a crazy old man. You don't want to be around him. So what you do is you start to undermine the authority that Elijah has in Ahab's life because of uh, these words and these, th- these things that are said in secret that no one ever knows about, but they're just planting seeds of doubt. Right? They want to plant seeds of doubt towards the godly authority or the godly people that should be in their life. Look at the first conversation between Ahab and Elijah after Jezebel came into power with Ahab. It says this in 1 Kings 18, verses 17 to 18. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? If you go back to 1 Kings chapter 16 and 15, you'll see that Ahab actually was not against Elijah. Somehow something changed in two chapters. He doesn't necessarily was a big fan of him, but he was definitely not against him, and he definitely sought him for advice. So what happened in those two chapters? He says, and and Elijah answered, he says, I've not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. What's he saying? You've given in to Jezebel, who is an idolatrous worshiper, and you've literally worshipped exactly what she wanted you to worship, what was anything but Jesus. You got your eyes on something else. It's interesting. That's exactly how they work. They want to make allegiances. They want to connect you. They want to have relationship with you. They want to get into your inner circle. They want to, they want to share their deep, heavy thoughts. They want, to, they want you to share your deep, intimate thoughts with them. Why? Because you've opened a door and you've got an in. Are we here this morning? It's going to be heavy today, but there's lots of stuff I do not want to miss. Are we tracking? We're good? Okay, cool. So the first key was make an alliance. Well, the second key was that his allegiance to an unholy alliance um, created some serious issues. 1 Kings 16, verses 31 to 32, and it says, And uh, he not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. Not only to begin to serve Baal, but he worshipped him. And it goes on to say, And he set up an altar for Baal. In the temple of Baal, that who built? That he built. So he wasn't just like, okay, well, yeah, if, you know, if I'm supposed to come to this service and, you know, have you, how many have ever been to an event or something you feel very uncomfortable with and you just kind of sit there and you don't participate, but you're there? He could have done that. I didn't say that. He said he worshipped them. He, 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 uh, he literally set up an altar for Baal in the temple. He was the one that built the temple. He went way further than anyone ever should have. Why? Because his allegiance has changed because of an unholy alliance. As soon as you align yourself in relationship to people that are ungodly, unholy, and have a completely different agenda than you do, guess what happens? You start to be influenced. You start to get influenced. You start to get influenced. And then before you know it, six months later, a year later, a year and a half later, you're going, what in the world just happened? How in the world did I end up here? Hmm. 
One of the goals of Jezebel is apostasy. You'll never probably hear that word spoken from me ever again in your life. But apostasy, in essence, is one of two things. Number one, the abandonment of a belief system. And number two, the abandonment of a previous loyalty. This is what Jezebel wants to do in your life. He wants you to abandon a belief system or abandon a previous loyalty. Can I say this morning, you are a byproduct of the people who influence you. You are a byproduct of the people that influence you and those that you allow to influence you. Okay? Um, yeah, that was a good point. Thank you, Damon. Checks in the mail, brother. <laughs> Take an inventory of your life. Who's in your inner circle? that maybe shouldn't be there? Who's on the outer circle that maybe should be in your inner circle? Who has influence in your life? Oftentimes people come to ask me, says, well, how do I know if someone has influence in my life? Um, what's your reaction after you come away from a conversation with them? Are you confused? Are you fearful? Are you anxious? Are you worried? Are you struggling? Or do you come out of those conversations just like, woohoo, that's awesome. How many know that when there's life-giving people in your life, they can bring correction, but you come out of that feeling more love than you ever did coming in? Right? Because they love you. They believe in you. And, and no matter what, even if they have to bring a challenge or a correction, they're doing it with love and with grace, and they're coming at it from an angle of, we believe in you. Yeah, 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 there's a problem, but we believe in you. We see, your, we see the future. We see a hope in a future for your life. Proverbs 22, verses 24 to 25 says, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. People, whether you believe it or not, rub off on you. Amen? Proverbs thirteen twenty says, Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Hello, that's a verse we should plant on our fridge so all of our children read. Every day before they go to school. Just read this one, honey. It's okay. Well, Dad, aren't, aren't we going to read another one today? No, this is the one we're reading for the entire time you live in our house. I love you. <laughs> okay, walk with the wise and become wise. In other words, hang out with godly people and you become godly. Hang out with ungodly people and you become ungodly. You say, well, I'm stronger than that. <laughs> How do I know that you're not? Because I wasn't. Sometimes we have this, this mindset that I can handle it. Lord, I can handle it. It's good. It's going to be okay. And I go, no, no, no. We're not wired to handle those things. Why? Because we're looking for acceptance. There's something deep inside of us that's looking to be accepted, appreciated, and loved. And when we get into a situation where someone is actually giving us that love and acceptance and appreciation, but have a different agenda and a different motive, we can get duped. Right? So we got to be careful. Amen? Jezebel understands the power of relationships probably more than most. It is absolutely the Je spirit of Jezebel's playground. It's, her, it's the battleground. It's about relationships. Why do you think that is? Well, because the very heart of God is relationship. Jesus came not just so that we could have a cross symbol as a Christian or to put a fish on the back of our car. Jesus came to restore us in relationship to the Father. That was the entire heart of God. The Bible is the God's love story of redemption. Why? Because it's about relationship. 
He wants to restore relationships. The entire heart of God is for relationships. He loves marriages. He loves families. He loves people. He wants to see situations restored, reconciled, and moving forward in the things of God. But how many know that the enemy doesn't want that? The enemy wants to constantly plant seeds of doubt and insecurity and fear and anxiety in your life so that you will believe that this is never going to turn around. We're never going to get where we need to get to. This is a destructive situation, and I feel stuck. How many have ever felt stuck? I have news for you. I bet you anything I would be willing to bet my house, my two vehicles, my five children, and my wife, and even my golf clubs on the fact that Jezebel's behind that because it's about control. And Jezebel's all about control. Jesus died on the cross to restore a relationship between humanity and divinity. That was the heart of God. Remember when we talked about Leviathan? We talked about Leviathan's goal is to separate relationships. Well, Jezebel's goal is to control relationships. How many of you, when you're feeling controlled, um, you don't react very well? Right? I know that firsthand. Because my personality does not react well at all when I feel controlled. Um, I hate that, actually. I hate control. But what in the world does Jezebel use to keep you under its grip or in its grip? What do they use? Well, there's a couple key things I want to just reference before we move along. The first thing is this, intimidation and fear. How many have ever felt intimidated by someone in their life? Right. How many stayed in relationship with that person and you seemingly don't know why? Okay, it's Jezebel. All right. They love to project a sense of power that they actually don't have, and they'll do that in an intimidating way in order to get you to believe them. Can I give you a church member example of how this works? And I, fortunately, I can honestly say this has only happened once in eight years, so I'm very happy about this. But I'm giving you an example, not an impact example, but a very typical church example, not impact. Okay, we're good? Here's a very typical example of someone who operates out of a spirit of Jezebel, what we'll do with leadership. Well, if you're not going to do what I'm asking you to do or what I, the, the idea that I've suggested, then I'm going to withhold my tithe. And I'm not going to give you anything, and I'm not going to serve anymore. Woo, really? Okay, bless you. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Amen, Jesus. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. But... Well, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> Lord, I'm for sorry, Jesus, for saying that in church. I'm sorry. It slipped out, Jesus. It just slipped out. The point is, is that we shouldn't tolerate that. Revelation 2.20 says, do not tolerate the spirit of Jezebel. I don't tolerate that. Can I give you one for a church pastor example? You ready for this one? Submit to me and follow what I say or you won't have a covering. If you leave this church, you'll no longer be with God. I've heard this a bazillion times. I wish I, I wish I could say I've never heard that, but I've heard it so many times it's sickening. Intimidation, at the end of the day, uses blackmail as its key role, as its key goal. Blackmail, in essence, is, to th- is the threat of telling a secret about your life or something that you've confided in that person, that you're threatening to actually get that information out. And so you stay under their grip because you feel scared out of your mind that what happens if someone finds out about that particular thing or about what I said or what I did, how will people deal with me? And I have news for you. People that are God-fearing and God-loving will take any information that you ever share and believe the best in you no matter what. Because they're going to have the heart of God. They're going to have the heart of redemption. And so 
anything that is kept under the surface, like the Nile crocodile, anything that's hidden in the murky water, that's dangerous. Because it's something that they can use against you. Sometimes they'll withhold information from you as a means of fear and control. Sometimes in their eyes, having information for them is having a weapon against you that you don't have against them. Okay? They will use information as an intimidating leverage for power in your relationship. Are you seeing some of this stuff here? Are we good? Okay. Second thing is this. They love manipulation. But I want to say this. When we hear the word manipulation, you think to yourself, it's so obvious. The part, the part of the problem with manipulation is it's not obvious. They are so good. They are professional manipulators. They are like the best of the best when it comes to what they do. So what do they do? They use emotional pressure that leads to guilt or confusion. It could either be guilt or it's confusion. It could go one way or the other, okay? They will try to guilt you into bowing to their needs, okay? And here's a famous one that I've always heard. And again, this is just, in some ways, this is actually including John Howard experience that I've had in my background. But I've heard this phrase so many times, I could write a book on it. I thought you were my friend. Well, I am. Well, a friend wouldn't do that. Actually, a true friend would. The friend you're looking for wouldn't. The friend you're looking for is the one that you can still have under your thumb. But a true friend would say that because we love you and we believe in you. We want to see you get past this. Amen? How many know parenting is never fun when you've got to correct your children? Right? Especially when you have five. Okay. Jezebel will accuse you of what it does itself. So it manipulates all the facts. It'll twist the facts. It has a selective memory. It, rem- it remembers one or two things, but it forgets the 89 other things. Right? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, really? Okay. It hates accountability. And anyone that tries to bring accountability in their life, they actually accuse them of being a Jezebel. You're the Jezebel. No, actually, that's not true. Uh, no, 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 no. Look in the mirror and just check out who you're looking at because that could be Jezebel. Just could be. I'm just saying. Just saying. Okay? They love to avoid confrontation so that they can remain undiscovered. That's why they won't go meet with people that are outside of their particular sphere of influence. That's why they're not going to talk to uh, godly pastors or leaders that could speak into their life. They're going to avoid people that are going to challenge them in the area that they don't believe in because they don't want to be uncovered or unmasked. Okay? And they love to destroy other people's reputations and at the same time protect their own. Okay? If they are feeling like they're about to be discovered, guess what they do? They go on the offensive and start to plant all these seeds and all these thoughts about what you've done and what you are, even though you're not any of those things. But they're going to start to plant the seed in order to what? Cause a distraction, right? What did some of the best, uh, you know, you look at old war uh, tactics. One of some of the best war tactics that have ever been done in the history of war is they set up a diversion and they come from a different way. That's what Jezebel does. She sets up a diversion and then leaves through the back door. It's like Pokeroo. I didn't know it was the guy. Like, go figure. You know? That's crazy. The third thing is this. They love self-pity. They love self-pity and they love to play the murder. Their love is not a divine love. It is a selfish love with its own agenda. They use self-pity to master, to, a, to the master that rule or rule over you. 
okay? When this is done, then they can feel, feel like they can spiritually elevate themselves over every situation and everything around them because they actually, in their self-pity, take a role of false humility. They actually look humble, but they're not. It's actually religious is what they are, okay? They talk about all their problems, but to the wrong people, Right? They drop hints of unrest in others so that they can stay, so that you stay close to them. Next one, last point I'm going to make with regards to her tactics, flattery. We ready? They will use flattery in order to get you off the trail of truth. Wow, you are so gifted. You're so talented. I don't know why anyone hasn't asked you to do that. I've heard that. How do I know? I used to play those games. I'll be honest with you, many, many, many years ago, not that I felt like I was a Jezebel, but many, many years ago, in my own insecurity, my own weakness, I was so desperately looking for acceptance and approval in so many different situations, I didn't realize, I started opening doors in my life when I was in my teens and my early 20s that were completely unhealthy. But I'm so thankful to God that at 22 years of age, one of the most incredible breakthroughs I ever had in my life was I had got a revelation of God's love for me. And when you get a revelation of God's love, it melts you from everything that would hinder you and hinder your walk with God. We understand how to, to, how to how, how, in a sense, have religious duty and obligation and how to follow Christ and do the right thing. But there's a whole different ballgame when you know you are loved. You are the object of his affection. That you are somebody that he loves and cherishes and place, places high value on. Okay, but flattery is a thing that Jezebel loves to use. They will fast and pray, quote the Bible and preach to you and show you how wicked you are in contrast to how godly they are. Okay? Their goal is to woo you and win you over to themselves with insincere flattery. They are quick to notice and speak about how gifted and godly you are, especially in the beginning. They pour it on. They pour it on. Oh, I see this and I see that. You're awesome. You're the best. You're wow. You know, I just don't understand why you're not, you know, queen of Canada yet. They'll do it all, right? They'll do it all because they're going to put something in there so that you feel drawn to them because it's a place of acceptance. They will give and withhold flattery in order to control you. When you're looking for something, they won't give it because they're looking to control you. When you're not looking for it, they're going to give it because you're not expecting it. Right? And it controls you. Listen to this. They are experts at painting a beautiful verbal picture of their own ugly behavior in order to convince you of their sincerity. I'm going to say it again. They are experts at painting a beautiful verbal picture of their own ugly behavior in order to convince you of their sincerity. And even at times, their love for God. Their flattery keeps you, your focus off the fact that you feel used and abused, but you're too afraid to break the relationship, and you feel stuck. Okay? All right. Are we good? I know this is a lot of stuff today, but are we good? Okay. I saw, you know, I see a couple people with a deer caught in a headlight. Look, I just want to make sure we're all live. We're good? Okay. All right. Well, the third key is this. We talked about unholy alliances. We talked about allegiances to the wrong things. The third thing is this. Um, I want to just give a little bit of background on this story. The story is actually found in 1 Kings 21. Uh, there's a man by the name of Naboth, and his name, his name actually means fruitfulness or fruit. Um, Naboth had a, a, a parcel of a land that was adjacent to the king's castle, and the king wanted it. It was probably the most fruitful land in the entire area of Jezreel, and the king wanted it. And so he went, and he asked uh, Naboth, um, who was in Jezreel, and Jezreel actually means scattered. Uh, he goes to Naboth in 1 Kings 21, verse 3, and it says this, but, 
Uh, and he asked him for the land. And this is the response of Naboth to Ahab. Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. So look at Ahab's response, verse, verse 4. So Abraham went to his house, sullen and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite said. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no more food. <laughs> I didn't get my way. It sounds like a three-year-old. And sometimes these people will do that. I'm telling you, some of, the, some of the responses, I'm just like, what? Come on, get it together, would you? It's crazy. So then Jezebel enters the scene, as she always does, in secret, in their bedroom, in their bedchamber with no one else around. And she comes in and she says, you now exercise authority over Israel. Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful, for I will give you the vineyard. And she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city of Naboth. She spoke for him. How many have had relationships fall apart because of something you hear someone is saying about you to somebody else, and then somehow six months later it comes back to you? And you go, I never did that. Suddenly the relationship's over and you don't even know what happened. It's like, what in the world's going on? Well, Jezebel loves to take uh, a, right, uh, a, a non-rightful position and actually speak on behalf of someone. Okay? She wrote in the letter saying, Proclaim a fast. Well, wow, that sounds godly. Wow, proclaim a fast. Let's do something really godly. Let's have a fast. And that looks like it's going to be good, right? Because we should fast and pray. So that looks good, right? Okay, well, that's what they do. Smoke screen, smoke screen, smoke screen, smoke screen. And seat Naboth with high honor among the people. Oh, we want to honor this man. He's such a godly man. Let's honor this man. Wow. Manipulation, flattery, manipulation, flattery, manipulation, flattery. Here we go. And it says, seat two men, scoundrels, before him to bear witness against him, saying, you have blasphemed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him that he may die. And guess what happened? That's exactly what happened. He died that day on so many different levels because of the work of Jezebel. Not only did Jezebel take the vineyard from Naboth under the pretense of a fast and prayer time, but she actually seated him at a place of honor in order to dupe him and then one step, one step further and actually used his best friends against him. Those noblemen that were sitting there were all people that had known Naboth for many, many years. It's interesting, but when we go into 1 Kings 21-25, the description of this event and how it all took place is shown right here. It says, But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord, because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. Well, I decided to look up that word, stirred him up. I looked it up, and guess what it means? To seduce. Or to entice. Revelation 2.20 in the description of Jezebel uh, in the New Testament actually calls herself a prophetess. Why? Because she's seducing people into believe of, to believe that she is godly and that she is of uh, reputable character. So she called herself a prophetess. It doesn't say that they called her that. She called herself that. Why? To put out the smokescreen that this is a safe place for you to come and to share. It's not safe. Okay? 
So the third thing, the third key, and this is what you have to understand, Jezebel loves to work in secret. Everything she does is in secret, okay? They love to operate in secret, just like Leviathan. They will use confidentiality as a means of hiding you from godly authority. I want to just say here, because I've been around the block a long time, I've been around social work for a long time, confidentiality is a godly thing. It is a good thing. We need to do that. That's something we need to constantly do. But what this spirit will do is that they will actually convince you that they're the only ones that can help you, that they are your source of help, that they hear from God, that they have a direct line from God for your life, and that you need to go back to them. And then they hide it under the guise of confidentiality and secrecy so that they actually continuously draw you away from the source of godly hope and friendship in your life. So it's subtle. It does not take place overnight. It usually takes place over months and sometimes even years. Okay? They look for those that are hurt, wounded, bitter, emotionally unstable, or overlooked or out of place, and become their prophet, their teacher, and their guide. Okay? They want, that, they want to be the source of not just teaching, not just seeing, which is the prophetic, but they want to be your direction. They want to actually steer the direction of your boat for you. That's what they want to do. Okay? Are we seeing it this morning? They always claim to have exclusive knowledge for your situation that no one else has. Well, you have to come to me because I understand more than anyone else. I have this knowledge, and, and every decision that you go through, you have to bounce it off me because I have exclusive knowledge about your situation. And I go, says who? Can I just set you free for a second? I am not the source of your guidance, direction, or knowledge. Jesus is. So God puts pastors in your path. He'll put leaders in your path. He'll put godly Christian friends in your path to help you. But at the end of the day, every leader, every pastor, every person that is influencing your life should keep pointing you back to the source of direction, the source of strength, and the source of everything, which is the Word of God. Now, similar to a parent, I am going to be held accountable for how I care for you. But how I care for you is very different than control. Pastors were never meant to control, just the same way parents don't control. We don't control. Now we lovingly discipline, and we lovingly bring correction, and sometimes we lovingly come alongside, get our pom-poms out, and cheerlead you on until you get there. Right? That's what we'll do. I have my spiritual set of pom-poms. I got the dance already. It's all good. But I'm going to cheer you on to the very place that God has for you life. But they love to be the source of approval and support. They love to be the person that you always come back to before you make a decision because they have exclusive knowledge of you and of your life. And they love to talk in confusion in secret in order to keep you guessing and them undiscovered. Remember the goal of Jezebel is idolatry, the worship of self. Okay? 1 Kings 18, verses 17 to 19, it says, Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Carrying on in verse 19, it says, Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. She loves to gather people to her table so that she can feed them what she's cooked. And I'm not talking physically. I'm talking spiritually, emotionally, mentally. She will always invite you to her table so that she can influence you. 
She's not interested in having what you can cook for her. She's actually never interested in what you can bring to the table in the relationship. She's only interested, I'm saying she, generally, she, he, whatever, it doesn't matter, whoever's under this impression, using Queen Jezebel as an example. But she'll only bring to the table what she wants to give to you in that situation. And she won't settle for anything else. What was interesting is not too long after this, uh, King Ahab actually died. Their son, Joram, took over. And what was interesting is there was approximately three to five years that had gone by between 1 Kings chapter 21 and 2 Kings chapter 9 when Jezebel died. But guess what role she carried on? Remember Queen Elizabeth, you know, we know Queen Elizabeth II, but remember the Queen Mother, right? Well, she took the role of Queen Mother. She had no authority, but she continued to influence her son, Joram, and she continued to influence the king of Judah who married her daughter for the rest of her life. So she was still the one that was at play in everything. She was still the one inviting everyone to her table, influencing her for the rest of her life. That never stopped, and it never changed. Why? Because Jezebel loves control. It will do anything to get it, and it will do anything to keep it. Okay? It refuses to admit guilt. It refuses uh, to, to ever admit anything that's ever been wrong. It takes credit for everything. It lies and deceives in order to protect itself. It loves to criticize those um, who have what it wants, and it will spiritualize everything in order to look special. That's the goal and the role of Jezebel. Are we tracking? Okay. There was a very significant revival. I'm going to end with a story. There's a very significant revival that took place in 1904. It's called the Welsh Revival. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of it, but the man who was behind this whole movement, his name was Evan Roberts. When this whole thing started, he was 26 years of age. Okay? Now, I want you to understand, um, in Wales, not a lot of people, when we think of Great Britain, not many of us think of Wales. Right? It's a very small place in comparison to everything else. there. We think of England, we'll think of Scotland, we'll think of Ireland. But not many of us think of Wales. So it was a very significant revival. It also predated the Azusa Street outpouring in 1906, which was the beginning movement for the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, the Assemblies of God, and many other Pentecostal or uh, charismatic movements that started. That was 1906 right up to today. But in 1904, the Welsh revival happened. I want, I, I, through one man's ministry, 120,000 people, or sorry, got my numbers right, 100,000 people came to Christ through his ministry, in a little less than a year. How many would love that? So that's the city of Kingston, almost, a little bit under. But the city of Kingston comes to Christ because of one person in one year. How many would love to see that? Okay. He was a man of God. The stuff that he did and the way he preached and the way he cared for people and the way he ministered was nothing short of amazing. Many people from all over the world came to Wales just to hear him speak at these meetings. In some ways, kind of similar to some of the other revivals we've seen in the last 30 years where people will travel from all over the world to come to key places or key areas to hear or to see what God is doing in that particular place. But there was a lady by the name of Jesse Penn Lewis who took a very special interest in this man. Um, she was, in the history of what people understand and are in books, she was a person that felt like she was called to be a Bible, Bible teacher and to speak, but no one ever gave her a platform. She felt overlooked. So she decided to come alongside Evan Roberts and support his ministry. Guess how she started? She started by giving large amounts of money to his ministry. Hmm. She used the large amounts of money to kind of reel him in that she was important. And over a, a period of time, 
actually most people say somewhere between six and seven months, over that period of time, she started influencing the decisions that Evan Roberts made regarding the ministry and the revival. Before we knew it, he moved into her house. Before we knew it, he fell into a clinical depression. Was at the, in, this was in his early 20s. He was in a clinical depression, didn't know what to do with his life. Through the entire time, all of the people close to his ministry and his friends were telling them, stay away from that lady. She is no good. She's up to no good. What happened was, is this lady literally over, over a couple of years duped Evan into basically giving up his ministry and handing it to her so that he stepped back away from the ministry. And she would say stuff like, you know, she would draw him in with all these things, like all these teachings about guilt and condemnation. And if people don't understand all their sin, then they'll never understand God. And so she started to actually uh, change the tone of his ministry. Once she started to change the tone of the ministry, I honestly believe he started getting depressed because of the way he was influencing people. The tone changed, everything changed. And then what happened was, is she literally duped him into giving up his very ministry. The Welsh revival petered out in a matter of weeks at that point because Evan Roberts came under the influence of a Jezebel spirit and this person's name was Jesse Penn Lewis. Started good. (laughs) Started great. It was awesome. But something went wrong. Sharing that this morning because I want you to understand that with every move of God and with every church and with every heartbeat that God has for any city, there's going to come with it people that are strategically planted by the enemy in key churches and in key places and in key government positions and all these places. And the entire goal is to deceive, to manipulate, to control uh, relationships in order to get their authority. That's what they're trying to do. Jesse Penn Lewis literally ripped away the authority of Evan Roberts' ministry right from underneath him, and the Welsh revival died overnight, pretty much. The same thing is going to happen here. I'm not saying here as an impact, but the potential's there. I don't think it all. I don't think it will. I think we've been through some situations, and we're pretty well versed on how to deal with some things now. I'm thank- In some ways, I'm not thankful for that. In other ways, I am thankful for that because I feel like we're better leaders because of that. But the reality is, is God loves the city of Kingston. So what's he going to do? He's going to plant pl- these things, these people in certain places in order to destroy people that God loves. But the God of peace crushes Satan. And that's what's going to happen. Here's what I want you to do. I'm just going to share these two thoughts and I'm going to pray. Evaluate your relationships. This week, evaluate your relationships. Don't take it lightly. Evaluate relationships. Who's in your life? Who has influence over your life? When they say something, what do you react like? How do they react? What do they say? How how is those relationships played out in everyday life? How does it influence you or affect you in your ongoing day-to-day life? If you're involved with any of this stuff, whether you are coming under the influence of the Spirit or it's coming against you, number one, repent if you are coming under that influence of, of Jezebel and you're actually walking it out. Repent. The quicker you repent the quicker God can work on your life. If you're the one that's coming under that influence, forgive those people and release the forgiveness and the love of God towards them because forgiveness absolutely crushes Satan. Why? Because it's the God of peace. Forgiveness is peace. I release, I release, I release, Lord. Why? Because as soon as you release it, now they're in God's hands, not yours. Now God can deal with them. Okay? Listen to this. You can't cast out what you harbor in your heart. 
So you can't say, God, deal with that if you're still harboring the same issues in your heart. So you can't say, cast that out, but I'm going to harbor that. God, forgive me, but don't forgive them. Right? Okay. Stay strong, stay rooted in God's word, and stay connected for the right source, because he is the right source. Let's just stand together this morning. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com. 